Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's strange to pray um, for a recording that will be listened to later, but in your omniscience, you are able to take this prayer now and bless it whenever the hearer listens. And so I pray for all those who will be listening, all those who are listening now, that you would, Lord, bless them in this dark, scary hour with the light of your truth. Would you banish all anxious thoughts and replace them with your infallible word. I pray that you would help me to preach in this unconventional setting and way um, that it would not stand in the way of the proclamation of your word. Lord, it's, it's fitting because in reality, um, every time Every time you call someone to preach, they preach to an audience of one. And so you're here, Spirit, and I trust you, and I trust you to use this. Strengthen me, in Jesus' name, amen. I intentionally just chose one verse, actually half of a verse, as my passage for us. And the reason is, is because I think that's what we're all trying to do right now. Do not worry. We're giving it our best shot. But if you're like me, you're failing. I mean, don't worry. That's so easy to say, but we're finding it very hard to do. And I think the reason is because that's all we're saying. We're simply saying to ourselves and to others, don't worry. That's, that's not enough. It feels shallow and empty and almost callous in the midst of a pandemic. Well, what I want us to explore together is what comes before that command and what comes after that command, because that's what we need right now. We don't simply need to hear the words, don't worry. You don't need a preacher to look at you and quote one half of one verse, don't worry about your life. You need more. 
And that's not all that Jesus has to say. He doesn't just say, do not worry. He says a lot more before and a lot more after. And it's this that I want us to explore this morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening to this. It's going to be really weird to preach like this. Um, Two things. Two things um, we're going to look at today. Fear's cause and fear's cure. Um, The cause of fear is before the command, don't worry, and the cure is found after. So let's start with the cause. Why are we consumed with so much fear? Not just in this crisis, but if we're honest with ourselves, even the best days can be hijacked by our fears. Well, the context of Jesus' teaching here on anxiety gives us a clue. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. He doesn't say, I tell you, do not worry. That would be shallow. He says, therefore, I tell you. That's important because it connects it to the previous passage. Now, what we find there is interesting. It's his famous teaching where he contrasts treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. The central command of that passage is verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And then from that teaching, he goes immediately into, therefore, do not worry. That is an odd connection, isn't it? Jesus sees a connection between our proclivity to treasure things of the earth and our proclivity toward fear. And this connection is true. The inevitable fruit of treasuring the things of the earth is anxiety. How so? Well, look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the principle. We are unable to treasure things from a distance. Treasuring is more than having an affinity or even a love for something. It is placing something at the very center of your life. If we treasure something, we unite to it our affections, our hopes, our longings, our very significance. It will fill our minds and our emotions. We will order our lives around it. It will define us. It will give us purpose, meaning, and value. This is what it means to treasure something. Therefore, treasuring is a dangerous business. Because what if we treasure that which is fleeting? What if we are owned by something that cannot endure? That is precisely the dilemma that Jesus is speaking to here. Don't treasure that which rust and moth will destroy. The destiny of our hearts is promised to be the destiny of our treasure. Therefore, don't treasure that which is destructible. And it is our failure to obey that command that gives birth to our fears, which is why Jesus connects the two. Here's how it works. We all instinctively know that what Jesus is saying here is true. We are treasuring that which cannot last. We may not be able to articulate it, but our fears bear witness to it. We know we have chosen to place our hopes, affections, and significance upon that which is fleeting, and it scares us to death. The collective panic of our world right now is proving Jesus true. It is revealing what we treasure. When we panic at the prospects of sickness and death, it shows how much we treasure health and life. 
When we panic as we watch the market crash, it shows us how much we treasure our wealth and finances. When we panic in our isolation and boredom, it shows us how much we treasure our productivity and stimulation. When we panic over daily, hourly uncertainty, it shows us how much we treasure control and clarity. You see, the pandemic is proving Jesus true when he says don't treasure that which uh, can be destroyed. Because right now, everything is facing the threat of destruction. COVID-19 is one big collective rebuke. How is the virus rebuking you? If you yourself want to discover your misplaced treasure, then follow the trail of your anxiety. So what do we do? That's the diagnosis, so to speak. Is there a cure? Well, Jesus does not leave us hopeless in this epidemic of fear. He not only diagnoses, he also cures. Let's look at fear's cure. Now, first and foremost, the cure is obviously Jesus himself and um, I, I suppose that should go without saying, but it, I, I don't think it can go without saying. I don't just want to assume that everyone listening knows that. If we are freaking out because what we treasure is fleeting, well, the most obvious application, the first and foremost application is I suggest you choose a new treasure. Repent of earth's vain treasures and choose the only treasure that can bear the weight of your hopes and longings without failing. If that which you treasure is eternally secure, then what have you to fear? Now, the only thing Jesus has to offer that can meet that demand is himself. Do not waste the lesson that this virus is uniquely affording us. It has brought all of the world to their knees. To ask the questions that typically get ignored, to sense the longings, that we typically squelch, to stare down the fallibility that we typically never see. Don't waste this moment. Until it passes, life goes back to normal, and you go about ignoring again that which you should never ignore. At the risk of sounding like a revivalist preacher here, you need to get right with God. Let your panic lead you to a new treasure that cannot fail, Jesus Christ. Now, to most listening, I am assuming they would say, Christ is my treasure, but I'm still anxious. Well, Jesus recognizes this struggle. He is patient with our fears, and in our passage, he shows us the practicalities of treasuring him. That is to say, he has a treatment plan. He's the cure, but here's his plan, and it's twofold. Trusting in God and living for God. First, we trust in God. Look with, look with me at verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? His point is obvious. If God provides 
for the seemingly insignificant spheres of his creation, though they don't even labor for provision, then surely you, his child, can trust him to care for you. Or probably not. As Jesus says in this passage and often says to his disciples, what we completely can relate to, O ye of little faith. We know we're supposed to trust him, but we struggle to trust him. And to abstractly just say trust God comes across as exceedingly shallow and unhelpful. So we need help to trust him. And that help is in our text. He gives two promises that if these are true, then without hesitation, we can trust him. And these are the two promises. God is sovereign over all and God loves you above all. First, you have to believe that God is sovereign over all things. The Bible is clear that God is in control, and we certainly see it here in our passage. In fact, he is so sovereign, according to our text, that even the smallest details of the created order, food for birds, the blossoming of lilies, even these mundane details are under the complete control of God. So friends, even now, in this global crisis, believe in the sovereignty of God. I know it raises questions. I know you can't figure out exactly how it works. But no matter the questions, no matter the doubts, don't give this doctrine up. You have to release the control that you vainly think belongs to you and ascribe control to the one it actually does belong to. You see, we think that maintaining control will calm our fears, but the opposite is true. Repenting of our self-determining charade and believing that God, not you, is in control leads to so much freedom. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Can anyone dispute that logic? Fear could work, I suppose, if you were sovereign, but you're not. You are not in control. You are, in fact, out of control. Your fears and worries will not change a thing. Isn't that a sobering thought? You have a death date that has been fixed from eternity past, and you have as much control over your death date as you once did over your birth date. Our days are numbered, and not one second of anxiety will change that. Now, Does that mean that you are wild and reckless right now? No. Wash your hands. That's wise. Social distancing. Let's all do it. But don't think that you're in control because you're not. God is. And because of that, the most terrifying thought then becomes the most freeing thought. You're not in control. Freaks me out. But God is in control. Oh, frees me up. Well, not quite. Only if the second promise is true. God as sovereign over all is only good news if he loves you above all. And guess what? He does. Look again at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now stop and ponder that word. I like it when the Bible uses words other than love. 
because we are so accustomed to hearing God loves you. But how about this word? God values you. That is to say, you matter to him. More than everything else, by the way. He speaks glowingly about his creation. And then he says, are you not much more valuable than this? Which means all his control, all his providence over all creation is directed for you, the valuable one. Now, at this point, doubts and cynicism typically hijack things with this accusation. God couldn't care about me. Because if he did, then life wouldn't be like this. I wouldn't be so lonely. I wouldn't be so broke. My marriage wouldn't be falling apart. My kids wouldn't be where they are, doing what they're doing. My life wouldn't be like this if God valued me. And certainly, the coronavirus wouldn't be happening. So we give up the promise and we return to fear. Let me speak to that very intimate struggle that I know is very real right now in particular. The problem with doubting God's goodness based upon your circumstances goes back to the treasuring principle. It is defining God's care for you by what you treasure. God loves me if he gives me what I treasure, which tends to be the things of this earth, health, wealth, and prosperity. What if God was good, but he is good because he aims to give you what he treasures, not what you treasure. And sometimes in order for him to give you what he treasures, he chooses to withhold that which you treasure. Probably need to say that one again. What if God was good, but he is good because he aims to give you what he treasures, not what you treasure. And sometimes, in order for him to give you what he treasures, he chooses to withhold what you treasure. Don't let your circumstances define for you the care of God. Let his word do the defining. And his word today tells you that the one who is in control of all things values you above all things. Trust that, not your circumstances. And then from there, Give yourself to the second application. We trust in God, but also live for God. This is an interesting point, but it has been my experience that it could not be truer. Look how he ends the entire passage in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, don't worry, but instead seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God. In other words, replace your fears with the ambitions of the kingdom of God. The point is that Jesus views the cure as not just a vertical application, trust God, but also a horizontal application, seek his kingdom. You know, we worry so much that if we didn't worry, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. And that's the point. Jesus is giving us something to do with ourselves besides sit around and be scared. Do you know what fear does? It turns us inward. Fear turns all of us into narcissists. Self-obsessed, self-serving, self-pity, self-self-self. Fear is an obsession with self. And Jesus is saying the antidote to fear is self-denial in the name of kingdom and righteous ambitions. It's very practical and could not be more true. 
you could stare at your screen all day watching the coronavirus news unfold minute by minute, or you could consider how to love your neighbors in this crisis. You could obsess over the market, or you could take advantage of a rare occasion when the family is locked up together to engage and disciple your children. You could zone out on social media and Netflix, or you could read your Bible and pray in extended ways that normally you're not able to do. You could sit in your house and obsess over a global pandemic that's getting worse by the day, or you could think of ways to serve our quarantine seniors of society. Now I ask you, which of those two paths do you think would lead to panic and which of those would lead to freedom? You know the answer. You know seeking his kingdom and righteousness has a way of weaning our eyes off of ourselves and our fears. It is the practical outworking of trust. God, you're sovereign. God, you value me. I trust that more than my circumstances. Now, I'm going to get busy serving, serving you this day, rather than fearing the days to come. So, uh, no, Jesus does not simply say to us in this hour, don't worry about your life in some shallow way. He says, do not worry about your life by trusting in God and living for God. But Jesus is not just the teacher here. He is also the example. He himself perfectly embodied what he is calling us to do. I want to close the same way I closed last week. I I suppose the same way I close every sermon. Um, But specifically, like I did last week by returning to the garden. And the only time we see Jesus overwhelmed. Jesus says, quote, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. I'm scared to death. Not in a sinful way. But my soul is overwhelmed even to death. That sounds like us right now, doesn't it? But what did Jesus do in his darkest hour? He trusted God. Not my will, but yours be done. And he lived for God. He got up. He left the garden. And he sought first the purposes of the kingdom of God. But his living for God would mean his death. And because Jesus chose not to give in to fear, but trusted in God and lived for God, we are forgiven of God and promised eternal life. And at the end of the day, this is why we have nothing to fear. Friends, the answer to your fears is not good news that we found a vaccine. Good news that the pandemic is subsiding. Good news that a COVID-19 test came back negative. Good news that this thing passes without a loved one getting it. Because the cold, hard truth that we all must face is that one day, bad news will find us. If not in this epidemic, then in some other way. One day, in some way, bad news will come for us all. But we have no fear because we are certain that no bad news is able to negate the good news. The gospel, which means good news, triumphs over every bad news. Beloved of God, in your homes riddled with fears and anxiety, may the gospel 
free you this day. May the eternal, unfailing good news of the gospel triumph over all the bad news coming across your screen. May it convince you again to trust him and compel you again to live for him, thus freeing you to obey that one simple command. Do not worry about your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, yes, you do command, do not worry. But underneath that command is a sovereign God who values us more than anything else and calls us to live for you above all else. And it is in that trust and in that service that we find the freedom from fear that we are all longing to find. Would you give us a peculiar peace that your Bible says transcends all understanding? Would you give us that peace? Would you give us the trust we need? Would you compel us into the ambitions of your kingdom and thus free us from our fears? Thank you, Jesus, that in your dark hour, you chose to trust the Father and lay down your life. And because of that, we are eternally hopeful in a good news that is stronger than every bad news. We thank you, and we pray in your name. Amen.